So uh, the last time I shared with you guys, I was sharing with you how to deal with our doubt and unbelief. And, you know, we've had lots of sermons and teaching on building up our faith and getting our faith stronger. But if we actually don't deal with our doubt and unbelief, it can hinder our faith. And I was sharing how you can actually have faith and doubt at the same time. And we looked at different examples from the Bible. We looked at how the nine disciples prayed for that boy having seizures again and again. And uh, he wasn't healed. And they did have faith. Because they wouldn't, if they wouldn't have had faith, they wouldn't even been praying for him in the first place. You know, no one prays for someone to be set free from seizures unless you believe that God can do that and wants to do that. But Jesus said the reason why the boy wasn't helped is because they also had unbelief. So they had both at the same time. Even the father of that child, he said, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. So he had both, again, at the same time. And then we looked at uh, Peter walking on water. And, uh, of course, he did have faith. No one walks on, tries to walk on water, especially in a storm, right? Uh, it's a crazy storm. He's trying to walk on water. No one tries that without having faith. But actually, when doubt arose in his heart, he started to sink. And Jesus asked him, why did you doubt? So these stories and others all throughout the Bible share with us how we can have doubt and unbelief at the same time. You know, this is a fairly new revelation to me in the last few years or so because I hadn't thought about it. I just thought about faith, 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 build my faith and stuff. And, uh, and I do that, and I try to do that, but there's actually things we can do to take care of our doubt that will make our faith work better. So we looked into reasons why we doubt. We all know why Peter doubted, but we don't always understand why we doubted. We, sometimes there's stuff that's so hidden and interwoven into your heart that you don't understand the reason why you doubt this or that could happen to you. You know, I was doing a sozo with my dad once years ago, and uh, we were, we were, uh, he didn't know what he thought of the whole sozo thing. He, he was, was new to it. And I, I, one of the questions was, um, doing the father ladders, asking, is there a lie I believe about Father God? And Dad was like, no, there's a lie I believe about Father God. I have good theology. And I, okay, I'm not asking you. I'm asking the Holy, you to ask the Holy Spirit, is there a lie I'm believing about Father God or you? And he, after a little while, some coaching, him relaxing a bit, he started here because it's, it's one thing to know the word is true. It's another thing to believe it's true for you. Yeah. And there's things we go through in our life that's interwoven pain. And then when the pain comes, lies come often with it. And when you go through that, it causes you to doubt God would do it for you. God would be good to Mark or God would be good to Aaron or this guy or that or whoever. But will he be good to me? Will he help me? And that's one of the things we struggle with because when we experience something negative, it can be challenging for us to believe something that's contrary to that, when we've experienced something that's so different, no matter what anyone else tells you. So the challenge carries over in, in areas of, of faith. When we experience, natu- what we experience naturally feels truer than what we read in the Bible or what we heard God say. So because what we've experienced feels truer, we naturally doubt this one, not what we've experienced. So there's a conflict or tension between what we've experienced versus what the Bible is telling us to believe. And so many times we've created our theologies out of our experiences, and pastors have preached their sermons out of their experience, or they found they go into the Bible looking for something to back up their experience instead of going to the Bible and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What, do you, what is the truth? Because what the, the truth might be completely opposite of what you've experienced. Look at Peter, walking on water, and look at all those other examples. So that is why Peter doubted. And that's why we doubt, too, is because we have this experience that's contrary to what the Word of God says. So this doubt and unbelief is going to remain until we deal with it. So then we started looking through the five steps to help us deal with uh, doubt and unbelief. And step number one, we're going to have it on the screen for you, 
is recognize areas of doubts and unbelief in our lives. We have to recognize these areas in our lives. Not pretend that they're not there, recognize them. And then step two is realize that doubt and unbelief is sin or missing the mark of God's best. Some people don't like the word sin. It literally means missing the mark, uh, but it's, it's, that's what it is. Step three, reveal our doubts and unbelief to the Lord. So we need the Holy Spirit's help in all three of these steps. Because how can, we, how can we recognize areas of doubts and unbelief that we've lived with maybe our whole life if the Holy Spirit doesn't help us to figure out what it is? And how can we realize or acknowledge it as sin if, again, we don't know what it is? And how do we reveal it to the Lord in prayer if it hasn't been revealed to us first? So we're going to need, you're going to need Holy Spirit's help to figure it out. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, I don't have doubt and unbelief in my life, you are greatly deceived. <laughs> I love you, but you just really are. I mean, I'm telling you, we all do. If you've been Christian for five minutes or 100 years, we have areas, because you know why? We've gone through pain. We've experienced trauma. We've gone through stuff that we don't have answers for. And we didn't have someone to help us process this or process that. And so we have to come up with our own understanding from our own minds. And we don't always come to the right conclusions, do we? We think we do, but we don't. So we need Holy Spirit's help with this. And that's, uh, that's why we did that exercise at the end of the message uh, last time. I think Marshall shared last week, but the week before that. But if you remember, we had a piece of paper. Everyone had it, and they're writing down three to five things you're believing God for. Then writing down natural reasons in your mind why those things won't happen. Because uh, this thing good will happen for you, but it won't happen for, oh, happen for them, but not for you. Those kind of things. And then we get asked the Holy Spirit why we doubt that our prayer request will come to pass. Because why you think you doubt and why you really doubt might not be the same reason. It probably isn't. It can be, but it probably isn't. Then we asked the Holy Spirit, what do you want to do with that doubt? And hopefully you had some time to go back over your paper and pray into it some more. Because getting rid of our doubt and unbelief is important. Okay, if you had an issue with porn or lying or stealing, those are all sins. Hopefully, you're going to try to do something to stop, right? And so hopefully, we're going to try to do something to stop doubting and unbelief in these areas because it's sin also. Because we're calling God a liar, if you think about it, when we're doubting God. Are you okay? Is it too, is it too blunt? I mean, it's not we're, going to, we're saying it to him, but with our heart and our life, we're saying, I don't trust you, God. I don't believe you, God. I believe what I've experienced more than you. And we all do that in different ways. Even though we love Jesus, we care, we love him, care for him. But until we get healed in those areas, we're going to have those kind of feelings. So because the truth that sets us free, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, we need his help for true freedom. Amen? We're going to need his help. Today we're going to go back through step number one a little bit more and recognize areas of doubt and unbelief in our lives. So um, we also mentioned there was four different kinds of doubt, four different kinds of unbelief. There's ignorance from never hearing. There is disbelief from being taught incorrectly. There's natural unbelief or skepticism from life's experiences. That's what we're going to mostly be dealing with is number three. And there's choosing not to believe from the hardness of your heart that someone could have proof every kind of proof you could imagine that God is real and he created everything, whatever, but they're just like, I will not believe no matter what. I mean, you think about it, that's kind of what Thomas's uh, doubt and unbelief was. I don't care what you say. He's calling all the disciples a liar. I don't care what you guys say. Unless I see Jesus myself and put my, he's not going to believe. That's what he was going through. So we're going to look at number three the most today, though. So step one is recognize areas of doubts and unbelief in our lives. There's a reason why we have unbelief. 
There's something we've experienced that's counter to what the Word of God says. And this experience often screams louder than our faith in Jesus. And our minds, will, and our emotions partner with that negative experience, and it feels more true to us than what Jesus is saying. When you're reading the Bible, you're there, you're by yourself, you're reading it, and it's, it's, sometimes you're like, I don't get this, or I don't understand this, or how come I'm seeing this, this, and this, but I don't see that in my life. And when we go through things like that, it's a time to either dig in deeper to what God says or partner with your experience, and you're going to go further into doubt and unbelief. Okay, it's, you're, at a, you're at a crossroads, what you're going to do. So I used the example last time. If you go on a fishing trip, I had some pictures of fish on the screen. If you go on a fishing trip and it was a very good experience for you, more, most likely you're going to go back again the next time out, like, yeah, hey, I want to go, I want to do that. But if it was very negative, you broke your pole, hook went through your thumb, and all these kind of things, you didn't catch anything but a sunburn, you're probably not going to want to go back. Oh, look at that. <laughs> so, uh, or we talked about tasting food that you didn't like when you were young, and to this day, that, that still affects you. You're not going to try this or try that, because something you experienced affects what you believe and practice even today. Or uh, eating food that made you sick, even though it made you sick 10 years ago, you still might not want to eat this food, because something you experienced affects what you believe today and act today. Well, it's the same way in other areas of our life. Our first experience will help determine what you believe about something. And if you heard something or experienced something contrary to what Jesus is saying in his word before this time, you're going to naturally think, well, that was for the Bible days. Or that was just because Jesus was on the earth in that time. Or that was just because, you know, God did this for them. Or God really loved Moses. Or God really loved Abraham. But that doesn't mean it's going to happen for us today. And you know what that really is? It's doubt and unbelief. And you know where you heard that from? The devil. You heard it from the devil. He's the father of lies. He's the father of doubt and unbelief because doubt and unbelief is, is, is totally surrounded by, with lies. It's corrupted with lies. So it actually takes effort on our part to reverse these beliefs that came through our negative experiences. It's going to take some effort. So there's also other negative experiences people go through that are a lot worse than fishing and food, isn't there? A lot more serious ones than that. Maybe you lost your job. He found it very hard to provide for your family. Well, guess who's going to come at the opportune time to bring some kind of word of accusation to you, some kind of doubt and unbelief to you that it's going to all fall apart. You're going to lose everything. Uh, no one respects you. You're not a good provider and all this kind of stuff. And it's not coming from God. It's coming from the evil one. We have to recognize that because he's, he's coming after you for a reason. Or maybe you were in a car accident. To this day, you still don't like to drive in a car. Or you don't like anyone else to drive but you because maybe the other person was driving when you wrecked or you just want to have this sense of control. And there's something in your heart that believes that God didn't protect me. He didn't protect me then. He's not going to protect me later. Or maybe one of you yourself or one of your children went through a divorce. A very, very painful thing that you can go through. And I can guarantee you, if somebody went through that, the devil came at the opportune time to sow seeds of doubt and unbelief and lies over you because he's looking for that opportune time. All right, maybe uh, a loved one or a close friend died and you prayed and prayed and believed God for healing and it didn't happen and you just were crushed, disappointed, like devastated, like, God, I confessed the word, I did this, I did that, and it didn't happen. You were just so deflated. Well, when we experience those things in our lives, it's going to impact what we believe, won't it? Are you here? Okay, it's going to impact what you believe. Unless the Holy Spirit helps you and brings healing to that area, it's going to affect what you believe for the rest of your life. It's going to trigger back to that. Remember back, for me, 
2015 when my dad died, it was, uh, it was really hard because I, I, I prayed. You guys, were, most of you were here. I was praying, fasting. I went to Canada multiple times to pray for him, took communion with him, and we did all these things, believing God for his healing. And it didn't happen the way I expected it to happen. Now, he's totally healed now. But that wasn't what I meant. And God knew that wasn't what I meant, right? It was, he's doing fine now. But, you know, it was, I remember right after the funeral, it was probably like a couple hours after, we were sitting around talking and sharing stories about Dad and just laughing about some things and funny things that Dad did and said. And, uh, but we were also complaining a little bit about the funeral because it didn't go quite like we wanted to. The funeral home director was doing two funerals at the same time, and in certain things we'd asked to be done, they weren't done, and they weren't done well. And it just felt really dishonoring to my dad and to our family, and just was, we were complaining about it. So... My mother, I had a friend over, Steve was at the house, and we were talking, and he was in between jobs at the time. She goes, Steve, why don't you open up your own funeral home? I think you could do better than those guys. And uh, then we started joking around about what we would name this funeral home if Steve was the new guy and created a new one. What would he call it? And Steve says, how about this? We'll call it Just In Case You're Not Healed Funeral Home. <laughs> and I don't know what it was about that moment, because it was very raw and real to me right then. It was only, like I said, two hours after the funeral. But something about that made me laugh so hard because uh, I was believing God for this, but I experienced something different. And so from then on, until I, unless I let God do something healing of my heart, how am I going to ever pray for somebody who has pancreatic cancer without thinking like, oh, geez, they got the big C. Oh, it's the big PC. It's the pancreatic one. How am I going to ever pray a prayer of faith again if I don't let God heal whatever happened in there? It was traumatic. I mean, I watched my dad go from bigger to smaller till he looked like a skeleton. I mean, he looked like I just wish I never saw him like that, but I did. And um, I actually, that moment with my friend Steve saying that, because he's hilarious anyway, but it just made me laugh. It was, it was a little bit of healing there, because when you're, when you're in the fight, it's exhausting. And, there's some, and somehow, it was even some relief after he passed, even though it kind of sounds sick or twisted in a way, but the fight was over. I felt like I could breathe again because I was trying so hard to make this happen for my mother, for me, for my family, and trying to make God do this, whatever. And it didn't happen the way I wanted to, and that moment actually was, it was kind of funny. It was, made me laugh. So in life, we go through things sometimes, and we don't always understand why this happened or why that happened or why this didn't happen the way you expected. And these difficult experiences are going to impact what we believe. It's going to, okay? It's not a maybe, it will. And so in that moment, we're either going to draw near to God for his truth, or we're going to go by what our experience says and pull back due to our disappointment and our pain. And I think we've all probably done both at some point or other, okay? If you've been alive for a while, you've prayed for something probably didn't happen just like you thought. Are you here? You okay? All right, so um, when we are looking in areas of doubt and unbelief in our lives, the first place to look is an area of your most painful experience or trauma or loss. The first place to look is where you've experienced the most pain, trauma, or loss. In those places, you'll most likely find what you're looking for, <clears throat> excuse me, unless you've already dealt with it and got healing there. So we're going to look at that a little bit more. Why, why look right there? Well, um, let me go back over these three steps again. I'm going to just show you this real briefly. Step one, recognize areas of doubts and unbelief in our lives. Step two, realize that doubt and unbelief is sin or misses the mark of God's best. Step three, reveal our doubts and unbelief to the Lord. But I want to add a step 3B to this. And uh, 3B would be ask Holy Spirit to reveal the associated lie that you believe. 
Ask the Holy Spirit, what is the associated lie that you believe? So every area of doubt and unbelief in our lives will have an associated lie connected to it. There'll be some lie that you heard when you went through something traumatic from the enemy that feels true to you now because it partnered with your experience. So the enemy is looking for an opportune time, right? Doesn't the Bible say that? He's here to only to steal, kill, and destroy. It says he's here, in the actual Greek, actually, he's here only to do this. That's his, that's his tactic. That's his method of operation. That's all he does only is to steal from us, to kill from us, and try to destroy us. Also talks about him as like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So he's looking for an opportune time to attack. In Luke 4.13, we see this with Jesus. We'll have that for you. This is now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, that's Jesus, until an opportune time. This is during Jesus' fast in the wilderness. He's, he came at his weakest moment to try to tempt him in these areas. Of course, Jesus was victorious every time. But the devil didn't just leave. He didn't just quit like, oh, well, I got no chance of this. He waited till the next opportune time. Where do you think that was? Probably the Garden of Gethsemane, the cross. I mean, there was stuff going on there, and, and he was trying to tempt him and try to give him another way out. So in uh, the same for us, he's looking for an opportune time to attack us. And I'm not saying that to scare you. He is the defeated foe. Jesus is victor. He defeated him for us. But he's going to try to make you believe a lie, because once you do, he's taking the truth from you and making you believe this lie, and it actually hinders you. He's after something. Okay, when he's coming at you with an attack, he's after something. And what he's after is something that you believe. He's trying to Manipulate what you believe and change it to what he wants you to believe because it will hinder your faith, it will hinder your life. He's got a reason. He's just not random attack on you. He's got a strategic reason why he's attacking you at that moment in this way because he wants you to doubt something that God wants in your life. So his attack will likely not happen when you're at your strongest or when you're feeling the most discerning, but when you're weak, you're tired, and you're discouraged. Like after battling 15 months or more of covid like after losing a job or after, uh, you know, just trauma and things. And this attack probably won't be physical. It's going to be a mental and psychological attack. And these attacks are going to be with unhealthy, like, unhealthy thoughts towards yourself and others. All of a sudden, you're thinking something about somebody you shouldn't think. You know you shouldn't think, well, that person, well, they're just blah, 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 blah. Well, guess where that thought came from? It doesn't matter if you like him. It doesn't matter if you're offended by him. It doesn't matter anything about that. It matters that thought came from the devil. Your ac the accusation, the judgment against them, it came from the evil one. Unhealthy thoughts towards yourself and others. It came from him. And his at he attacks us with thoughts of doubts and unbelief, just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Now look how he worded that even, just to manipulate and trick them. Of course they couldn't. He didn't say he can't eat from any of the trees. They what else are they going to eat, right? <laughs> that is their food. But he said, no, we couldn't eat from this one tree. Thank you. Thank you. You tell I had a dry mouth, right? Thank you. In the same way, he's going to try to tempt us to believe these lies and to try to make us feel like these thoughts and ideas are our own. He goes, no, he didn't say that uh, we can't eat from any of the trees. He said we just can't eat from this one. And then she added... But you, and you can't even touch it because Adam told her that. But God never said that. So when she had the fruit, when she's holding her hand and she doesn't die, guess what happened? Doubt and unbelief. God said that if I touch this, I'm going to die. God didn't say that. But she thought God said that. And so when that didn't happen, she goes, well, what else did God lie to me about? And she took a bite, and the world has never been the same. 
the same thing, same type tactics he's going to try to happen in your life through traumatic events and painful situations. He's going to be right there. He's not omnipresent. He's not with you 24-7. I'm not saying that. God himself is omnipresent. The devil is not. He, has to, he roams to and fro throughout the earth. But he does look for an opportune time in your life and my life to bring these lies because he's trying to get something from you. Something that you have, something that you can do that you don't know you can do because he's, he's tricking us. So rarely are we any weaker than we go through something traumatic. You think, would the devil really attack me when I'm that weak? Would the devil really attack me then? Would he really have no mercy? No, he does not have any mercy. He doesn't play fair. He doesn't go by this Geneva Code of War. He is out to steal, kill, and destroy, period, Amen. from us. That's the only thing he's here for. So in those moments when you go through something traumatic, it's an opportune time for him to kind of steal, kill, and destroy from you. Like when you lost a job, or you're in a car accident, or you flipped your four-wheel over backwards, and, uh, and yeah, it's scary. Or you have a miscarriage. You, uh, or one of your children, or you, went through a divorce. Or you got sick and almost died. You prayed for a friend or a loved one, and they, and they didn't make it. They died, like what happened with my dad. When you go through these experiences, you can bet that the enemy is going to be there to sow seeds of doubt and unbelief in your heart to steal away the truth of God's word. Remember the parable of the four uh, types of soil? Every type of the soil, the devil's trying to steal the seed that was sown. He's trying to steal the word. And how does he do it? With, what he, with lies. Which once we believe his truth over God's truth, it hinders that fruit from growing. It chokes it out. It steals it. So we need to believe God's truth. So if you go through something traumatic, be aware that the enemy is going to come at that time to try to make you believe something. So be self-aware. Like, what, what am I hearing lately? What, what, am I, what is the enemy trying to make me believe? That we're going to go bankrupt. That God helped me before, but he can't help me now. That we're going we're gonna to experience this. Or I'm going to die of this. Or I'm going to die of that. And guess what? God Almighty is not saying that to you. He says you're going to live and not die and, and declare the works of the Lord. His plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in a future. Not just a temporary hope in a future. You can have hope in a future for your lifetime. You can have an expected end, not a, a disastrous end. Okay, with long life, he'll satisfy you. Someone says, we don't know about what we, if we have tomorrow. Well, read your Bible. There's lots of promises in the Bible about what you have in long life. All right? Well, the Ten Commandments even gives you one. What does it say? Honor your mother and your father. And what does it say? It'll go well with you. And what? You'll live a long time. And what does it say after that? And, and what is it? In the New Testament, what does it say? That was the first commandment with an associated promise. It carried into the New Testament. With long life, God Almighty will satisfy you and show you the salvation of the Lord. It's a promise. And we go around, well, tomorrow's not a promise to us, brother. We'll read your Bible. That is doubt and unbelief. Are you okay? Love you. I do, but I want to tell you the truth. Because I hear this stuff, and I'm like, that's, not, that, that's an experience somebody went through. And it was painful. And they lost somebody, just like I did. And they created a theology out of it. And it's not God's word. Okay? So, for example, you might hear... Uh, or, or even you might hear this in your own voice or in first person, that this is all my fault, why your parents got a divorce. You know, I worked at Crossnor Children's Home for many years, and they almost all believed that it was their fault why their parents went through a divorce. And it wasn't. Their parents were unhealthy. 
They, parents were fighting. They had conflict. They had unresolved pain and things, and they weren't able to work it out. But almost every kid believed that lie. How is it possible? Because the enemy comes at that opportune time, that traumatic event, and sows that seed. This is your fault. If you were a better kid, if you obeyed more, if you made your bed more, if you did this more, did that more, this never would have happened. I'm telling you, it happens, and it, it creates chaos in their lives, and they don't know what they're hearing. They think it's their own voice. They think it's their own conscience saying these things, and it's the devil trying to deceive us into believing these lies. And it's painful, these kids. And they, and they, they have to go through carrying that burden that from like seven years old or five years old that... It's my fault my parents didn't make it. And guys, that so burdens my heart. It's so wrong. Uh, and, uh, or you're in a car accident, you might hear, and you, and you survived. You might hear, you were lucky this time, but next time I'm going to take you out. You know, I had a guy tell me this just a couple weeks ago in, in, in church here. He goes, I don't know if I'll be here next Sunday. He was kind of how he said it. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, I keep hearing this voice. So I only got till Monday. And I just, I just laughed right out loud. And I'm like, you only got till Monday. Like, well, who do you think said that? Do you think God told you that? You're, gonna, you're dying tomorrow? I mean, that's just, that it is. I'll, I'll call you tomorrow. <laughs> just to check on you. But I said, that's not God. I said, if the devil could kill you, you would already be dead already. You'd already be dead. The guy had multiple car accidents. He had brain surgery and all this other kind of stuff. If he could kill you, you would already be dead. Okay? So don't listen to his voice. What did God say? But he plants those subtle seeds of doubt and unbelief in our hearts, and we start to believe them. You hear accusations, if you pray more, this wouldn't have happened. Or the reason why this happened was your fault, or you must have a sin in your life, or you didn't pray hard enough, you didn't have enough faith, or, or if you had more faith, your friend or loved one wouldn't have died. And all those things are judgmental, critical, and God wouldn't say those to you. He wouldn't say them. At least, if, I'll get into this part in a second, but for sure he wouldn't say it in that way, for sure, an accusational judgment away. Why this is tricky is because half lies and half truths are, they overlap sometimes. Because this could be true sometimes in this situation. This could be true and not true in this situation. For example, um, the boy having seizures. Jesus did say that, that they didn't help him because they're short duration of their faith or their unbelief. But in other situations, uh, he didn't say it was because of their unbelief. In other situations, like in Nazareth, it says he couldn't do many mighty works there, but lay his hands on a few sick people. It wasn't Jesus' doubt and unbelief, and it wasn't the disciples' doubt and unbelief. It wasn't even the doubt and unbelief of an individual. It was the corporate unbelief of Nazareth. Do you remember what Philip said about Nazareth? Says, Can anything good come from there? I mean, they had a reputation. There was stuff going on there. And plus, Jesus said the prophets don't have honor in their hometown. So a few people were healed, but it says there were no miracles there. Now, was that Jesus' fault? Was it disciples' fault? No, it was just this regional doubt and unbelief that had an impact. So we don't always know. We don't always understand why what we prayed for didn't happen the way we expected it to happen. But one thing is for sure, God will not accuse you. He will not judge you. He will not critique you that way. He will not tell you it's, my, it's your fault. That voice is the voice of the enemy. The devil specializes in half-truths and half-lies. That's what he was trying to do with Eve. Did God really say this? Did God really say that? Did God really say uh, for today that you're going to prosper? Oh, come on. You don't believe that prosperity gospel, do you? Did God really say you're going to be healthy? Oh, you don't believe that health and wealth gospel, do you? Did God really say this? And, it, and you're going to hear that stuff. That's what's it going after. It's going after the seed of the word of God. It's a, it's, there's a reason for it. And he introduces these lies in traumatic moments in our lives. 
You know, in uh, the Sozo ministry that we do here at the church, people have shared with us all kinds of traumatic events that's happened to them. And sometimes, honestly, it stuns me. It shocks me. I can't hardly believe what I'm hearing sometimes because it's just so much trauma. And so much, and done by their father or grandfather or something. It's just horrible stuff. But every single one of them, the devil introduced a lie right in the middle of their chaos. That this was my fault. Or I'm to blame and things like that. And uh, so we always ask them, let's ask the Holy Spirit, what was the lie I believed in this trauma? I'm telling you guys, that's a good question if you remember write down and ask, what is the lie I believed in your trauma you've gone through? Something hard you went through in life. But they, these people we ask to hear something like that I wasn't protected <clears throat> or that I was all alone or that it was my fault or that nobody cares about me or I'm not loved and God will help others but he won't help me or God will use others but he won't use me and, or that he is distant and far away from me and doesn't want to hear me or help me or answer my prayers. And guys, these are common things people say, because guess what? The devil has the same tricks he's had from the beginning of time. To make you feel like you are horrible, you can't do nothing, you're so dirty, nasty, wormy, slimy, creepy, whatever, that God couldn't possibly use somebody like you. And it's a lie, because you're exactly the candidate for who God's looking for. Who else is he going to use? What else has he got to work with, right? We're all made from dirt. Praise God. But he, he, he formed it and breathed into our nostrils, and boom, then we became a living spirit. And God said, I can do something with dirt. He can do something with us, you know. Now, these lies are very common. Even here in our church a few weeks ago, you guys were here. It might have been a month ago now, but they kind of blend together. But we had a service where I just knew I wasn't supposed to preach, and I just went around and, and I put out there, how many of you are hearing lies that, God's, that, that the devil's tempted you to believe these lies? And I was really getting nervous for a little bit there. I wondered if any of you were going to respond. But by the time we were done, I think there was like 20 or 25 people. I didn't count them, but it was a bunch of people shared all these lies. And listen to some of these lies. I put them in different orders. I'm going to read back some of these. This was mine. I remember this one. But you had to be perfect in order to be loved. Now, I believe that, and I don't believe it. That's how these half-truths, half-lies come into it. I don't fully believe that. Intellectually, I don't believe that. But at times of pressing, at times of pressing into God, at times of believing God for something, there's this little doubt in there like is God going to really do that for me like God would do that for Andrew Womack or this guy or that guy but will God do that for me and you know what that is it's some seed that was sown years ago probably when I was a little kid that uh, this isn't going to work out for me Uh, another one that was shared that day I'm not worthy of anything because of my weight Um, that's a lie that's a lie and you know, I bet you probably half the people in here, maybe maybe less than half, I don't know, probably heard that exact similar thing and maybe worded differently. He is the same things. Or I'm not enough. Inferiority. God is good enough for you, but not me. God loves this the world, but he doesn't really love me that much. God is distant, and I'm not good enough, worthy enough or valuable enough for him to spend time with me. God does not hear my prayers or want to hear them. I'm not good enough to fulfill the call of God in my life. Those are some of the ones mentioned that Sunday. And um, do you see what the devil's trying to do? He is after something about you so you won't fulfill the call of God in your life. And he's but these really subtle lies. So the devil's trying to make people believe they're not good enough for God's call and to receive God's love. When in reality, Galatians 
sorry, Colossians 1.12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance in the saints. You don't have to pre-qualify yourself like you do when you're going to get a loan and getting pre-qualified for this or pre-qualify that, and it goes by your credit check and your past credit scores and past credit history. The credit check is the blood of Jesus. The credit check is the name of Jesus. The credit check is the finished work of the cross. The credit check is Jesus said it. He qualified you to be a partaker of the divine nature. He qualified you to be sons and daughters of God. It has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus, but the devil wants to flip the script to make it all about you. You, 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 you. When it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus and his love for you. No matter what you've done or gone through, he loves you and wants you to prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. That's what he wants. So other lies mentioned that day where uh, people were tempted to believe was others will succeed, but they will not succeed. God will not provide or meet their needs. Not good enough to be successful. The Lord will prosper others, but not prosper me in fear of losing everything. Now, think about this for a minute. What is the devil going after? Those are all to do with provisions, those last five I just shared. All to do with provision. What is he going after? What, what is his tactic to, to sow that particular seed in your heart? What does he want? He doesn't want you to be blessed. Because probably most of you that have battled that are very generous very generous people, and he doesn't want you to give to this need and that need and sow these good seeds to help other people. He wants you to hoard and hold on to stuff and not let that currency and that flow through your life. It shuts down the flow of God in your life. He wants you to be scared to give, scared to tithe, scared that he won't provide for you. When God himself says in Philippians 4.19 that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Not because of your school, not because of your education, not because of your degrees, not because because God is God of this universe and he loves you and he wants to provide for you. Amen. Amen. But the devil goes in so subtly and you're not going to prosper because you're doing something wrong. Well, what am I doing wrong? It's always this vague slick, sly accusation. What am I doing? What, what, what am I doing? And you start navel-gazing and heart-gazing, and we're looking at the wrong thing. It's a lie. Jesus is your provision. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for you. Jesus qualified you to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. He qualified us, amen? So we have to recognize these things as lies and cast down these vain imaginations and make them obedient to the Word of God. It says you're blessed because God's good. Amen? So other lies were, because of the circumstances, the prophecies spoken in the past will not happen. What's the devil going after there? They're calling their destiny, right? Or um, I'm responsible for everything, taking, taking fault when something goes wrong. What is the devil trying to do there? You probably might try to remember who said that one. Well, uh, if you do, you do. If you don't, it doesn't matter. But we've heard other things probably similar to ourselves. But what is the devil going after here? What lies is he trying to sow here? He's trying to put shame and blame on you so that you will isolate yourself and stay home and not get involved in this ministry, not get involved in that thing or helping this program or doing these good things for God because something might go wrong. And if something goes wrong, you'll be to blame. It'll be your fault. And he's trying to make you get so self-conscious that you hide and become a hermit and you won't uh, have an influence on people when God wants you just to be you to do what he's asked you to do. If something goes wrong, we'll, we'll fix it somehow. Well, people will help you fix it. 
It's not about blame. It's not about shame and things like that. It's about blessing and loving other people. But God will make, the devil tries to make us so self-conscious that we're afraid to do anything because we're afraid of messing up. And last but not least, uh, one what was said was um, people cannot be trusted. Now, what is, what, is the, what is the devil going after here? Okay? I know I've had time to think about this, so you don't have to answer me because I've thought about it. You guys haven't. But um, he's going after something here. And you see, it's a half-truth and it's a half-lie. There's a lot of people on this planet that cannot be trusted. They will backstab you, stab you in a heartbeat without even feeling guilty or losing sleep. They, will just, they are evil people on the planet. But in the same way, there are a lot of really good people. There are, there are a lot, I think, even more good than bad myself. And, there, and you need these connections in your life to speak in your life, to edify you, encourage you. So in your mind, you're staying back because you're trying to protect yourself from these people that are going to hurt you. But in reality, you're keeping yourself back is hurting yourself for these other people coming in your life and blessing you and encouraging you and comforting you and building you up. So the devil plants these half-truths and half-lies in there, and it tricks us, and we hide, and we miss out on these blessings that God has for us. So he's going after our calling, and the, these lies directly contradict the Word of God. So, for example, if you go through something really traumatic in your life, uh, and the, the lie you believe was that you were not protected, it's going to be very difficult for you to read Psalm 91 and believe it, won't it? Because you've experienced something that was very traumatic, and you did not feel protected. You felt alone. You felt like God had abandoned you. And when you read Psalm 91, 7 through 10, it says, A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. But, with, but you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, no, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. That's the word of God, amen? Amen, it's the word of God, yes? But if you've gone through something traumatic, painful, experience, and then uh, at that moment uh, you felt like you were not protected, you were not safe, you felt like God wasn't there, it's going to be difficult for you to believe Psalm 91 and actually read that and not even feel a little bit offended, like, shh, okay, whatever, God. Where were you when this happened? Where were you when that happened? And we start actually, instead of agreeing with the Word of God, we start arguing against the Word of God because of our experience. And you know what? We probably were a lot more protected in that moment than we thought we were because that, that moment could have actually gone worse than it did, if we think about it. So your experience can cause us to doubt and unbelief. So, or maybe you went through a divorce and experienced some kind of a loss. In lie, you believe that now you're all alone. Or you had to go through that all alone. Now, no one's going to ever love me. No one's ever going to care for me. The church won't even love me now because once you go through a divorce, you're a leper in the church, right? I mean, you're, that's supposed to be some kind of unpardonable sin. Let me just cancel that off you in Jesus' name. Just receive that. Receive that. You can still be in ministry. You can still teach. You can still preach. If, if uh, Paul can be forgiven for murdering Christian families, I think we can be forgiven for going through a divorce or painful thing. Amen? It's just not true. All right? So you've gone through something like that. You felt like you're all alone. It's going to be difficult for you to believe Hebrews 13, 5. that says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You're like, where were you then? Do you hear what I'm trying to say? hope it's communicating. You're getting this. Matthew 28, 20, same thing. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. But if you went through something like that, you're going to argue with, against the word instead of agree with it. And your agreement with the word will actually help you the next time something come up, starts to come against you your way. 
going to share this next one, too. I'm almost done here. But um, maybe you had a miscarriage. And this is a touch you want to talk about. But I just feel like I need to bring this up. Maybe you had a miscarriage. Well, the next time you get pregnant, you are going to naturally fear, like, oh, gosh. I hope that doesn't happen again. Because it was traumatic. It was painful. It was loss. It was, and I don't know who here has or hasn't. There probably... Maybe, maybe many of you, hopefully none of you, but there probably is some. And the next time you get pregnant again, like you're hoping like, okay, hopefully this one will make it, and hopefully this one. But in your mind, you're going to battle that fear, that pain, because in the moment of your trauma, in the moment of your loss, your pain, the enemy was right there to say this stuff to you, these lies to you, to hurt you and make you feel afraid. So instead of building yourself up in that area of your faith, we agree with the pain and the trauma and the lies of the enemy, and we start partnering with that, and then we, it's, it's difficult to believe. So when you read Exodus 23, 25 through 26, which says, So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. And no one shall suffer miscarriage. No one shall suffer miscarriage. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in the land. I will fill the number of your days." If you've gone through something like that, and then you read this word, it's going to be difficult for you to agree with it, right, and believe it because you've experienced something contrary to it. So you're going to actually need some healing in this area of your heart so that you can actually believe what God said. Because the enemy is going to come in with like, well, that was just for the children of Israel. That was just for God's chosen people. That was just for them. That was just, well, that, that's not for you. That, that's the Old Testament. That wasn't and it's going to bring in doubt and unbelief and cause us to not believe what God's word is for us. From the very beginning, he said, I will bless the fruit of your womb. You were called to increase and multiply. So if you've gone through that today, that wasn't meant to be a judgment word. I'm trying to show you how the enemy tries to attack us when we're at our weakest with lies and doubt and unbelief. And I pray right now, if you are trying to have a child or you've gone through and had a miscarriage at some point in your life, or an abortion in your lifetime. I pray that's healed right now in Jesus' name. The trauma of that is healed in your heart. And I pray you will be released from being barren and have children if you're desiring to have children. In Jesus' name. So um, if you hear the lie, no one cares about me. It's going to be difficult for you to believe Scripture that says that... um, God demonstrated his own love toward us in this, and while we're still sinners, Christ died for me. Or greater love is no one than this when he lays down his life for his friends. So if you've gone through something traumatic, and I'm I'm sure everyone here has at some level, some degree, that's the first place I want to encourage you to look for these areas of doubt and unbelief, because there'll be a lie associated with your pain. There'll be a lie hidden behind the pain that you need to expose and bring to light and bring healing. So what do we do with that? What do, we, what do we do with that doubt and unbelief? Well, I'm going to share more about that next week because we're pretty much out of time now and some of you guys look maxed. So uh, I'm going to share more on that later. But um, ultimately, you're going to bring it to God, let him heal those wounds and ask him what the truth is. And we'll, we'll expand more on that later. But guys, God is for you. Because you went through something traumatic, doesn't mean that was God's best for you, God's plan for you. It's the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's the enemy who's trying to steal and destroy things in our life. And when we go through those things and think that God did it, it's made very difficult to pray contrary to that the next time around, won't it? 
So I want to bring these things out into the open and let there be light and healing there so we can experience God's best in our lives. Amen? Amen. I don't think God has one will for planet Earth and another will for you once you get to heaven. He says, my kingdom come, my will be done on that earth, just like in heaven. Amen? That's God. So if you guys will stand, I want to pray and bless you, and I'm going to dismiss you guys. Thank you for listening. God, we do not understand why we have uh, doubt and unbelief. We know the word says it's impossible for you to lie. And everything you speak is truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. You are truth. We know it in our mind, but sometimes because of our pain, we doubt certain things. And I pray, God, this week you'd reveal in my heart areas where I doubt, areas in uh, other people here, in their hearts, not to bring up painful things, but to bring healing and freedom and release. And our faith would naturally grow. God, I thank you for your word, and your word can be trusted. It is forever settled in heaven, and we just thank you, God, that you watch over your word to carry it out to completion. So God, I just bless your children now in Jesus' name, and I command trauma to lift off of you in the mighty name of Jesus. Some of you need to take that right now. I command trauma to lift off of you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, trauma, go, go. Lift. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and comfort them, strengthen them, and encourage them. In Jesus' name. Yeah, some of you are getting released right now from trauma. Just uh, just put your hands out and uh, receive God's presence. Maybe you were in a car accident or something I mentioned before. Trauma, go. In the name of Jesus. Stability, come. The anchor of our soul. Amen. So I want to encourage you guys to... You can do those uh, questions again at home. Ask God, write down three to five things that you're believing God for. At, write down why you don't think that could happen to you because that reason is, is wrapped around lies, is wrapped in that I'm not good enough or whatever. Ask the Holy Spirit why you doubt and then ask Him what does He want you to do about it. And just journal those things and pray about it and God will bring truth and truth brings freedom. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you. You are dismissed.